Well done. Go and go back in the scriptures together. So if you've got your Bibles, go and look at um, Luke chapter 1 and 2, Acts chapter 2, and also John chapter 2. So um, please, uh, if you want to turn there, we'll look at them together. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've spoken already this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you will take hold of this word that we bring together this morning and apply it to our hearts for your glory. And in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's great to be here. It's Mother's Day. Who got breakfast in bed this morning? Who got some flowers? Some chocolates? Oh, it's fantastic. And I thought, well, it's Mother's Day, so it might be important for us to look at some kind of mother in the Bible, so we're at least on track a little bit. And there are many famous mothers in the world, but there's only one who's really famous for being a mother. So this morning I'm going to unpack uh, just the character and the nature of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a fantastic character in the New Testament, who so often, us as Pentecostals, as Protestants, we tend to miss all the great things that she can teach us through her life. So we're going to unpack the scriptures together, and that will be really good. Abraham Lincoln once said this, No man is poor who has a godly mother. And we're going to look today at a woman who was a carrier. 2,000 years ago, God searched the highs and depths of earth, looking for a woman who would bear his son, who would carry his son into the world. And today, God is still looking for men and women who will carry the name of Jesus and carry Jesus into their world. And we have got to learn today lessons from the life of Mary that will help us to be carriers of Jesus into the world. Who wants to carry Jesus with them? Three of us, we're all right this morning, come on. See, God is still looking for men and women who want to carry Jesus into the world. The first thing we learn about Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28 is this. The angel of the Lord appears to Mary and says, Greetings Mary, you who are highly favoured of the Lord, the Lord is with you. If we're going to be carriers today of God's heart into our world, the first thing we need to understand this morning is that we are highly favoured. We are chosen by God, we are called of God to be his children. We're called and we're anointed to carry him into this world. You see, the word highly favoured in Greek is karito. And it means this, to endure with special honour, to make acceptable and to be highly favoured. Mary was highly favoured. She was chosen by God to be the carrier of Jesus into the world. And this word, carito, only appears twice in the whole of the New Testament. Once here in Luke chapter 1 verse 28 and also in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. In Ephesians 1 verse 6 it says this, that you have been highly favoured in Christ. The same favour that rests upon Mary rests upon you. There's only two in the whole of the Bible that are called highly favoured. The mother of Jesus and the bride of Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are highly favoured. 
No, seriously, you are really highly favoured. <laughs> See, God has highly favoured. And that confidence, that security that we carry, the favour of God over our lives, will give us the authority to speak life into the world. See, if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't know you're secure in Him, if you don't know the favours over your life, you'll be subject to all the pressures of the world. But if you know who you are, if you know that you've been highly favoured by God, it'll give you that mandate, that confidence and that authority to move into your world. But not only was Mary highly favoured, she was also chosen. She was also chosen by the Lord. And today we understand that we are a chosen people. We are a royal priest of the holy nation belonging to God. You're chosen. He's called you by name. Now, I would not have chosen you. I'm the point that have chosen me. But God has chosen you to be his disciple, to be a bearer of Christ into the world. John 15 verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, says Jesus, but I chose you. You have been hand-picked by God. The word for chosen in Greek is eklego. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Lego. Hey! See, when I was a child, I had Lego bricks. Who had Lego bricks? And you used to be able to build stuff out of it, didn't you? Like towers and boxes and sometimes planes and even guns. But me and Jonathan, we built a Lego model the other day. And I brought it with me. This. Look at that. Handcrafted by father and son. Look at it. Look at the detail. It's amazing. It's it's like the Queen Van. It's called Mac from the film Cars. Okay, got it. But the thing is. When I had those blocks, it was random. You just built whatever you wanted. You could build anything. There's no structure. There's no instructions. You just do whatever you feel. But this little beauty down here came with a manual. And every piece has a place. And every piece has a purpose. You can't go random on this. It's got to be done according to the book. Otherwise, it doesn't look like that. It looks like something completely different. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> the thing is, the word ethnogo means to select out for purpose and destiny and meaning. You were not picked out at random by God for some random purpose. You were divinely chosen by God to fulfil a specific purpose in a specific place. Is that good news? For three of us, it's great news. Some of us may want to be somewhere else. But that's not always an option. We have to be where God has placed us. See, the Bible says that he has favoured us in Christ. The word favour means unmerited kindness. You don't deserve it. He has favoured you, not because of your church attendance, because you're a nice person, because you give to charity. He's favoured you because he has favoured you. It says in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7, God did not set his affection upon his people because they were bigger than anybody else, 
or better than everybody else, but because he loved us. The reason why God's favour rests upon his church is because of his love, not our obedience or our goodness. It's because of his love. The wonderful verse in the Philips translation of Colossians 3 verse 12 says this. We are God's hand-picked representatives of a new humanity. Purified and beloved by God himself. Be merciful in action. Be kindly in heart. And be humble in mind. We are hand-picked. He knew what he was getting when he called you. When you put your hand into a quality street box and you pull out quality street, the wrapper looks great. And some of us have got nice wrappers. But God knows what's on your heart. And God knows what you like inside. And because he knows what's inside you, you may think he can't ever choose me because of the mess that's inside me. But God knows everything about us. And he chooses to set his affection and his love upon you and me. What a great job that is. So the first thing is, if we start our journey to becoming carriers of Christ into our world, we have to understand, firstly, that we carry a special favour. Next slide, please, is that we have supernatural faith. We have supernatural faith. And the Lord just spoke to me this morning, and on the way to the church, the road was closed. Who saw the sign? I couldn't get here that way. I had to find another way. And this morning, God says to two or three people here this morning, you, feel, you may feel this morning that your road is closed. That the plans you were making, the destiny you were going on, you feel that this was the right way to go. But suddenly you find the fact that this road you were on has been closed. And sometimes you think, I might as well just give up my dream. But the thing is, there's diversion signs put in place. Because God has a plan for your life. And even if one door closes, another door will open. And God always makes a way for the impossible to become possible. And maybe we're facing impossible situations today. And when the angel came to Mary, Mary was amazed and astounded that something so amazing would be spoken to her. And she says, how will this be? Since I am a virgin, it's impossible for God to do anything in my situation because it's impossible. And so often we write off God and we say, God, you can't do anything because I'm too far gone, I'm too old, I'm too young. But God is a God of the impossible. You see, there was a man called Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. The angel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah says, how can this be? There's a difference between how will this be and how can this be. Zechariah wanted proof. He wanted something to substantiate the promise. But Mary just took God at his word. And today we may feel, Lord, I want proof. You're going to do what you're going to do. But Mary had supernatural faith. God imparted into her a desire to believe the word of promise. And God's got a promise over your life and my life today. That is outworking. And you may find yourself in a situation where you think, this is impossible. There's no way forward for me. But God says, I will make a way. See, the promise, 
The seed that was planted in Zechariah's heart, the seed that was planted in Mary's heart, was an invitation to respond in faith. Every prophecy, every promise from God isn't a mandatory fulfilment deal. It is an invitation for you to respond to the word of God. And when God spoke to Mary, she had to respond in faith. See, Zechariah didn't respond in faith. Instead of rising to the levels of faith, he sank to the depths of unbelief. God is speaking to us even now about the things that he's put in our hearts. It's not his word that is powerless. It's our response that indicates and dictates how much of his promise we see fulfilled in our lives. See, Peter got out of the boat in Matthew 14. He walked on water. He was exercising faith. The seed in his heart was taking root and he was growing in it. But when he saw the wind and the waves... He sank like stone. If we allow circumstances, if we fix our focus on the things that are around us, we lose sight of the King of Kings. If Mary had sat down and list all the things that would be impossible, and she focused on the impossible things, she never would have had the grace to believe for something even more amazing. See, Mary didn't let anything like Mary didn't let any minor issues like the impossible get in her way. Mary did not let little things like the impossible get in her way. Don't write off God. There's a great book called Alice in Wonderland. Who's read it? Who's seen the book? movie even. It says this. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One just simply can't believe impossible things. The Queen replied, I dare say you haven't had much practice. When I was younger, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I even believed for minutes six impossible things before breakfast. God is a God of the impossible. The thing is, we like to keep God in the box, believe that God can do this and he can do that. But God wants to burst out of the boxes of limitation and amazement stands with the things that he can do. Next point. So we've looked at a carrier has to have special favour, a carrier has to have supernatural faith, and next point is a carrier has to have a surrendered will. Luke one thirty eight. Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary recognised the promise that God sent to the angel and she submitted herself and she surrendered herself to the will and the purposes of God. We sang that song earlier that man sang, you know, all that I am, all my ambitions, my hopes, my plans, I surrender these into your hands. You see, we like to hang on to stuff, we've got our own plans, our own agenda for our lives, and we think, God, if I can just have my way, if I just have my will with my life, I'm going to do great things for God. But it's only when we learn to surrender everything to Him that His power is truly released in our lives and we become dynamic in the purposes of God. See, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, a man dedicated, devoted to his Father, the Son of God, the Divine Son of God, yet at that moment he says, God, if you can take away this cup from me, then do it, Lord. 
And as he waits in God's presence, he hears this voice rising up within him and says, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. You see, we have to surrender our agenda to God. We have to lay down what we want to do with our lives. Because it's not about us, it's about him. We need to get out of the way and let God do what he can do in our lives. See, sometimes we serve others out of a sense of insecurity, a sense of inferiority. But God wants to lift us up from that so that we serve others out of a sense of dignity, out of a sense of calling. It says in John 13 verse 3 that Jesus knew who he was. He knew that the Father put everything under his feet and yet he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. We need to know who we are. And in that knowledge of knowing who we are, serve and surrender everything to him. Mary says, let it be to me, according to your word. My agenda, my will, my purpose is taking second place to yours, O God. We're here not to please ourselves, we're here to please the Lord. Ignatius of Antioch in the first century writes, I'd rather have you as God pleases than men pleases. We like to please people, don't we? We like to be popular, we like to be well liked. But God wants us first and foremost to please him above all and everything else. You see, in this world we live in, there's a desire just to promote the flesh. There's a desire just to Encourage us to be strong and courageous and brave in ourselves. But the heart of Christ is for us to lay everything down. David Wilkerson says this. The surrendered life is an act of giving back to Jesus the life he has given to us. It's relinquishing control, rights, power and direction. It's totally resigning your life over into his hands to do with you as he pleases. Do you want to make a difference in your world? Do you want to change your world? Give up. And give everything to him. Because we can be more effective in the hands of Jesus than we can in our own hands. A little boy with five loaves and two fishes would never be enough to feed the multitude. But those things put into the hands of Jesus will be more than enough to meet the need. Let's surrender everything we have to him and allow him to blow up on our hearts you know Jim Elliot the famous missionary who gave his life to serve Jesus said this he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose why are we hanging on to stuff that we think is so important when there's a greater more glorious future for those who give up everything for him Our next point, if we're going to be a carrier that takes Jesus into our world, we need to be filled with spiritual wisdom. Mary in Luke 2.33 marvelled at what was said. She allowed the words that were spoken over her life and over Jesus' life to be a source of wonder and marvel in her life. And sometimes we become so familiar with the miracles, so familiar with the ways in which God works, that we miss the wonder. And Socrates, the great philosopher of a bygone day, said this, Wisdom begins with wonder. 
Wisdom begins with that sense of wonder about what God can do in our lives. We need to keep hold of the things of God. Mary pondered, she stored up, she treasured up the words that God has spoken over her life and buried them deep in her heart. Sometimes God speaks to you and me. And we just treat that prophecy or that word of revelation as just a, almost a light thing. And sometimes God speaks to us and we just put it on the shelf somewhere and forget about it. But it's time to dust off those promises and say, God, this is not my word, this is your word over my life. And I believe you're going to fulfill it. Mary treated as precious the promises of God over her life. But it's not about who we are. We aren't wise enough or clever enough to do this. We need the divine revelation of wisdom to come into our lives. Again, Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all that I've been about seemed insufficient for the day. It's not about us. But God wants to impart wisdom into our lives. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who generously gives it without finding fault. See, there's times in Mary's life where she missed the purposes of God. At the wedding in Canaan of Galilee, she didn't understand the purposes of God. She just wanted Jesus to be so loved and so liked. She felt it was his time, so she pushed and she nudged him. When Jesus was 12 years old and was coming back from the temple, Mary said, where were you, Jesus? Where were you? And Jesus says, woman, I was about my father's business. Sometimes, even when we're spiritual, even when we're godly, we miss the purposes of God. But God doesn't criticise us and condemn us. He draws us into a deeper relationship with him. See, wisdom is not primarily based upon the knowledge in our heads, but it's primarily based on the knowledge of our hearts. That we have this connection with God, and that connection gives us wisdom. Next slide, please. We don't need to be wise beyond our years. All we need is to be wise beyond our fears. Mary faced huge fears about what her father would say, what her mother would say, what her community would say, what her partner would say. But faith and fear will contend for your heart. Every decision you make to follow Christ will be a contention between faith in your heart and fear. And if you let fear rob you, you never climb the heights that God intended to climb. But if you allow faith to rise, nothing will be impossible for you. Our next point, I'm almost finished. A carrier has a soft heart. A carrier has a soft heart. In Luke chapter 2 verse 35, the word of the Lord comes to Mary and says, A sword too will pierce your heart. And Mary in John 19 is there at the foot of the cross and she sees Jesus, her beloved son, dying in agony. She hears the the abuse and the anger of the crowd aimed and hurled towards him. And my brother-in-law plays football for a team in Northern Ireland. He plays for a team called um, Dungan Swifts. Small team, semi-professional. And 
Diane's sister went to see him play football. But the crowd hurled abuse at my brother-in-law. Because he missed a challenge or he missed a goal. These things happen sometimes. But the crowd really got him. It just annoyed Diane's sister so much that she had to leave. Imagine the agony of Mary when she saw her beloved son being insulted, ridiculed, rejected, hurt, crucified and carried away. The thing is, Queen Elizabeth II in her speech in 2002 on Christmas Day said this, Grief is the price that we pay for love. Grief is the price that we pay for love. And I've got some good news for you and some bad news. The bad news is that in church, in family, in sight, people will hurt you and annoy you and offend you. But love conquers all. You see, we need to be people of a big heart. Soft-hearted, generous-hearted, kind and giving to others. See, God intends to stretch us, to increase our capacity. And if you say, God, give me love, give me more love, he will put you next to the unlovely. If you say, God, you know, I want more patience, he'll put you with people who annoy you. God is at work in our lives to stretch us, to equip us, to enhance our spiritual lives so we become bigger people, children of a big heart. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 this phrase, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You may say to me, Adrian, if you only knew what they said about me, you'd not be asking me to forgive them. If you only knew, Adrian, what they did behind my back, you'd not be asking me today to forgive them. But the thing is, God knows what you've been through. God knows the agony, but he went through agony as well. And today, he wants us to be tender-hearted. Now, the word tender-hearted in Greek isn't soft-hearted, it's actually strong-hearted. You need to be a pretty strong character to allow pain to hit you and to not react. You need to be a strong-hearted person to allow insults and abuse to hit you and not respond in kind. And the heart of Jesus is that we become tender towards one another and we don't become hard-hearted. Mary could easily have become hard-hearted, angry and bitter. But the things we go through will either make us bitter or they'll make us better. We just need to respond to God and allow him to soften our hearts and to lead us forward. A young lady went to see a silversmith at work in his silversmith shop. I'm sure there's a technical term for it. And she was watching him smelt and melt the silver. His look in his eyes was full of concentration as he gazed upon the silver, heating it, stirring it, heating it and stirring it. And as he looked upon it, the girl asked him, how do you know when it's pure? How do you know when it's ready? And Sybil said, I know it's pure when I can see my face reflected in the silver. And God will sometimes turn the heat up in our lives, in church, in work, in home, 
and we feel attention and the pressure building around us and we think, God, I can't take this anymore, but God is using that to refine us so that we shine more like Jesus. God wants us to shine like him. See, the crucible is for silver, says Psalm 17, verse 3. And the furnace for God, but the Lord tests the heart. And today, you may come here and maybe people that annoyed you, people that offended you, people that upset you, in home or at work or at church, we need to allow the Christ who gave his life for us to minister his grace into our hearts. And the final point this morning, before we come to the close. Mary was a carrier of the Holy Spirit's anointing. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, we see Mary with the other women upstairs, in the upper room with the other disciples, gathered together to pray and to wait for Pentecost. Mary was waiting and hoping and crying out that she too would get a visitation of the Holy Spirit in her life. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, the Holy Spirit comes upon all those who are gathered in that room. And while we can't be sure of it, my heart will probably say, I believe that Mary was there in that upper room. You see, Mary was a woman of grace, a woman of wisdom, a woman of faith, a woman of favour. But she also needed the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you are trying to live a Christian life today without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit... In your life, you're going to always fall down. You're going to always fail. God never intended us to live as orphans. Jesus said in John's Gospel, I did not intend for you to live as orphans, but I will send the Holy Spirit to you. You see, without his presence and without his power in our lives, we're just going through a form of religion, a form of service, a form of activity, but not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Living life... Without the Holy Spirit's unction upon us, like trying to drive a car without fuel. We just, we can maybe coast down a hill. We can push really hard. There's no power in our lives. And we're a Pentecostal church. We're a charismatic Pentecostal church. We believe in the fullness of the Spirit. And I believe that that fullness is available for each one of us to live in the dynamic overflow of the Holy Spirit. A man called Tozer, writing last century, said this, Satan has opposed the doctrine of a spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it, he has opposed it, he has surrounded it with selfish and false notions and fears, and he has blocked every effort of the Church of Christ to receive from the Father a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. There is for us today a completely satisfying and overwhelmingly glorious baptism of the Spirit. And we need to move into that and to receive all that God has got for us. Fantastic. You see, just in conclusion, there are two words in the Greek New Testament for being filled with the Spirit. One is playtho, one is playro. They're very similar in uh, sort of central meaning, but they have got different flavours to them. I'll just bring out this little flavour before we close this morning. The Holy Spirit was poured out, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says that the room was filled with flames. The fire filled 
the room. In other words, the room contained the fire. But in Acts chapter 2, later on it says the Holy Spirit came upon people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's a different word, it's play so. First of all, it's play row. And let me just unpack this for you for a second. The room was filled with fire, but the room wasn't changed by the fire. The room contained the fire, but wasn't changed by the fire. When the fire came on the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they were changed. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to fill us with gifts, or with power, or with abilities, or anointing to do things, although that is a key focus of the Spirit's role. He also comes to transform us. When the, when the soldiers picked that sponge and plunged it in the wine vinegar and gave it to Jesus, it says the sponge was filled with wine vinegar, playfound, saturated, consumed, changed by the presence of the wine vinegar. And so the Holy Spirit today wants to come upon his church, not just to give us gifts, but to transform us completely, to revolutionize us, to be the men and women that God designed us to be. Today, God's looking for carriers. People who will carry Jesus into the world. And there are just some characteristics we've just unpacked this morning that will help us on our journey. Shall we stand together and let's pray? The character of a carrier. One who has special favour who knows they are chosen and called of God to make a difference in the world. The character of a carrier is one who has a supernatural faith, who can believe the impossible and know that God answers their prayers. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. A carrier will have a surrendered will, laying down their agenda and their will for the sake of his agenda and his will. A character will have spiritual wisdom. They'll be wise about the things of God. Not rush into things, but stall and be paused and just wait upon the Lord to him to speak. A character of a carrier will have a soft heart. They'll not allow their hearts to get bitter or to harden their hearts. But they'll keep their hearts soft before God. And finally, a carrier will need the Spirit's anointing to help them function as Christians in this generation. So Father, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, O oh God, that as we listen to these words, Lord God, you'll apply them to our hearts. And you'll help us to realise that we are called to carry your message and to carry your heart into the world. Equip me and equip all of us today with all that we need to serve you in this generation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you.